Thank you for that. Praise the Lord. Take your Bibles with me this morning, and I want you to open to the book of Isaiah. The book is of Isaiah, chapter 53. Isaiah, chapter 53. And uh, let me commend you this morning for being here on Christmas Day, and of course, those joining us via live stream as well. And um, really, uh, when we think about uh, Sunday, and we think about when Christmas falls on Sunday, it's really the perfect opportunity uh, just to give God the glory for what he's done and then sending his son, Jesus Christ, for us. Isaiah chapter 53, we're going to read the whole chapter here. It's just 12 verses. Um, this is a very chapter dealing with prophecy that's prophetic about what's going to happen um, with the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form, no comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. So again, as we're going through this and he's depicting the Lord Jesus Christ, think, think about what he's saying here, right? He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul into death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. This is obviously not a typical Christmas passage. When we think of Christmas, obviously we're thinking of the birth of, Of Jesus Christ. But when we think about Jesus Christ, obviously we understand his birth and we celebrate his birth. Obviously, you say, is it December 25th? It honestly doesn't matter what day it was, uh, whether it was December 25th or what day it was, it doesn't really matter. Uh, It's just the day that we have chosen to set aside to say this is the day that we're going to celebrate the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ. But just as I was explaining to the children this morning, the purpose of his birth. 
And even in the song that we sang was to die. His whole purpose in coming was to give his life. When we think about Christmas, what do we think about? Most of the time we associate joy with Christmas. It's a joyful time. It's a joyful season, right? If you're not caught up in all the hubbub of everything going around, it's supposed to be a joyful time. The joy of family, getting together to be with family, maybe that you don't get to see very often, and uh, getting together with them and having a time together and uh, spending that quality time. The joy of gifts that are given and received. Uh, the joy of being able to give something and see uh, the excitement that it brings and, and them receiving it. And the joy as well as receiving something. Um, we, we enjoy giving, but let's face it, every one of us enjoys receiving as well, right? So there's the joy in giving in gifts, and there's also the joy in receiving gifts. There's the joy in food. Amen, right? We all like to eat, yes. Uh, some of you, maybe yesterday you got together with family and you had a nice meal or something. Some of you maybe this morning had a special breakfast or you have lunch planned or dinner, something that you're going to do with family and things. Those are wonderful things. And we think of, we, we think of Christmas and we do really think about the joy that this, this time of year brings. And uh, so many times you'll maybe hear a commercial on the radio or TV or something. It's like, you know, hey, this is the, the season of, of giving and it's rejoicing. And so let's be kind to people and, uh, you know, let's sh- share our, uh, our care with other people. And it's really, a, that ought to be something we do all year, right? <laughs> like, you know, we're only supposed to be kind in December. That's okay, you know. Um, but no, of course, it's something that we ought to be doing every, all, all, all year. But there's just something about when we come to Christmas, it just kind of, there's that extra emphasis on joy and kindness and, and these different things. But if we really think about Christmas, we have to understand that it is deeply connected to the heart of God. There's joy in the heart of God when we think about Christmas, but it's not the same type of joy that we would think. It's the joy of grief. Did you notice in verse number 10? Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. Right? He's talking about grief here, but then notice at the very end of the verse, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Joy and grief are not something that we would even put in the same sentence. You, you don't have joy and grief at the same time. But yet when we think about Christmas and we think about what God is doing in the heart of God, it's the joy of grief. So what is, what is God saying? How can there be joy? How can there be the joy of grief? Because these two words just don't seem to go together. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. How could the Lord find pleasure in what would happen to his son? We've just read a very descriptive passage about what's going to happen to Jesus Christ. I mean, from verses 1 all the way through, I mean, this is... 
I mean, you think about it. He's going to bear our griefs. He's going to carry our sorrow. He's despised. He's rejected. He's a man of sorrows. He's acquainted with grief. I mean, uh, all of these different things. He has no form, no clump, comeliness. When we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He's wounded for our transgressions. He's bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon him. I mean, you think about all this. How, how could God say that there is joy then in what is going to happen to his son? I mean, let's, let's be honest, as parents, those of you that are parents, we know how awful it is to see your children hurt or to see them sick. There's just, they're just something that happens to a parent when a child is, is hurt or when a child is sick. There's, there's something that the parent, I have to do something to relieve the pain. I have to do something to make them better or Or so many times I've heard parents say, I would rather it be me going through this than my children. We don't want our children to go through pain. We don't don't enjoy seeing our children go through sickness. Can you imagine as a parent watching the grief and torment that Jesus was going to go through? God the Father watching what The Son, Jesus Christ, is going to endure. All that we've just read in in chapter 53, the the iniquities that are going to be placed upon him, being rejected and and the grief and, and being wounded and all of these different things. Imagine what is going through the heart of God. And even coming to the point when Jesus, of course, is on the cross and, and the father has to turn his back on his own son because he cannot look at your sin and my sin that have been placed on Jesus Christ. The grief that the father is feeling and what is going to happen to his son. But yet, there's joy. How can that be? Look, Jesus was not a martyr, nor was his death an accident. They did not kill Jesus. They didn't kill Jesus. In fact, nothing that would have happened, nothing that happened to Jesus could have happened to Jesus without him allowing it to happen. In fact, that's why even on the cross, the Bible tells us that Jesus had to give up the ghost. Jesus had to give up his spirit could not be taken from him. He willingly gave it up. He was God's sacrifice for the sins of the world. Determined beforehand by God. This had all been determined beforehand. In Acts chapter 2 and verses 22 and 23 says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, As ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. This was was all determined by God. I mean, we're reading about it here in Isaiah 53. This that was hundreds of years, hundreds of years before Jesus was ever even going to be born in Bethlehem. And the Isaiah, the prophet is telling us what's going to happen. And he tells us here that Peter tells us this was determined by the counsel and foreknowledge of God that this would happen. Revelations 13.8 tells us 
All that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names were not written in the book of the life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. Before God had even created mankind, before God had even created the world and placed man in the Garden of Eden, God already knew what man was going to do. He already knew that we would turn against him. And before he even spoke the words of creation, God already had predetermined, he had already had the foreknowledge of what was going to happen, that Jesus Christ would come and be born. It wasn't just some chance night that the ga- that angel Gabriel came to Mary and said, oh, by the way, uh, you know, God's just decided that this is going to happen. No, no, no. This was already determined before the foundation of the world, God says, that Jesus Christ would be born. But why? Why would he be born? Because of our sin. He had to be born. God speaks of this, this, this determinate counsel, this foreknowledge of God, this that already God had planned, that Jesus Christ would be born, that he would live here on the earth, and then he would die on the cross. Did you ever think about that? Before there was even a tree ever created, God already knew how Jesus was going to die. There wasn't even a tree created yet. And yet God knew that Jesus Christ would be crucified on a tree. He already knew these things. So how could there be joy and grief? The joy of grief. I want to draw your attention to three things, and it won't be long this morning. I know it's Christmas Day. I know if kids haven't opened presents yet, that's the thing that's on their mind right now. We're not going to be long. But I want you to notice three things, because again, this this is what God says here. He says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. So here's, here's, again, just think about it. God says it pleased the Lord. It, it pleased God to bruise him. Not that, that he was getting joy out of what was happening to his son. Not that he was enjoying seeing his son suffer. But it pleased him. Why? He says, he hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Where is the joy in grief? Here it is. He was made an offering for sin. Jesus Christ was made an offering for sin. Your sin, my sin, the sin of everyone in the state of Ohio, the sin of everyone in the United States, the sin of everyone in the world, the sin of everyone who has ever lived and the sin of everyone who will ever live. Jesus Christ was made an offering for sin. Sin is what separated us from God. And a sacrifice had to be made for man to be able to be reunited with God. That's why in the Old Testament, you find that so many times they would have to bring a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice. It's not that that sacrifice is what caused them to get their sins forgiven. No, it was a picture of what was going to take place. That that innocent animal that had done nothing wrong would be sacrificed for the sin of that individual. 
And that picture was shown that Jesus Christ, the the Lamb of God who was innocent, who had done nothing wrong, would be slain, would be sacrificed for the sin of the world. A sacrifice had to be made. There had to be an offering for sin. The problem is, is that no sinful man could be a perfect sacrifice for sin. It's unfortunate that there are many religions today who are telling people that you can be the sacrifice for your sin. If you'll just join our church, your sins will be forgiven. Friend, you're not going to find the church in verse number 10. You're not going to find the church there. You know who you're going to find? Jesus Christ. Because the church cannot forgive you of your sin. Well, well, my religion says if I get baptized. Did you find baptism in verse number 10? No. You know why? Because baptism cannot save you from your sin. Well, I'll just keep the Ten Commandments. Did you find the Ten Commandments in verse number 10? No. Why? Because the Ten Commandments cannot keep you. They cannot save you. Well, I'll just be a good person. I'll try to be kind to people and I'll give and I'll be generous. You're not going to find that in verse number 10. Watch what it says. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, Jesus Christ. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He became the offering for our sin. And and listen, friend, I'm going to be very kind, but if there's somebody that's telling you that you can go to heaven any other way than Jesus Christ and him alone, they are lying to you. Because he became the offering for our sin. That's exactly what Isaiah said hundreds of years before. You say, well, well, why can't you just accept what other people say? Because it's not in the Bible. I I didn't come up with this way to save man from their sin. God did. And God said, you and I can't do it ourselves. There must be a sacrifice and the sacrifice must be perfect. Jesus, the eternal God became the God man, the perfect man who the Bible says was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. This man who was 100% God and 100% man offered himself as an offering for sin. This is why Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 21, for he hath made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Friend, Jesus Christ became sin for you. He's the offering for sin in what we were reading in verse number 10. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Jesus Christ became the offering for sin. Nothing else. And that's why there's nothing else that can save you from your sin than Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? I'm not asking if you know about him. I'm not asking if you go to church. I'm not asking if you've been baptized. I'm not asking if you're a member of a church. I'm not asking if you're a good person. I'm asking, have you accepted the offering that Jesus Christ made for you? He became the offering for sin. Now watch, he continues in verse number 10. And this is all going, coming together. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. 
what happened. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, now watch, he continues, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So there's grief and then there's joy. There's grief in seeing what his son is going to have to go through, but there's joy in seeing that Jesus Christ is going to be the offering for sin. That Jesus Christ, that man cannot save themselves, but Jesus Christ is going to offer himself as that offering. But then he also says, he shall see his seed. And this is such a powerful statement that Isaiah says here, he shall see his seed. Think about what Isaiah is saying here. Back in verse number six, he says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. So think about this. Isaiah says in verse number six, we have strayed as sheep. But now he says through, the, through Jesus Christ being the offering for sin. Now we can return as children of God. He shall see his seed, his children. We turned away from God, but through what Jesus Christ has done, we can return as children. We can become his children, (laughs) but it gets better. Watch this. This is, this is awesome. How can a dead man see his children? How can a dead man see his children? You can't dead man. Can't see his children. Dead man's dead. He's not going to see his children. But yet if Jesus Christ was made an offering for sin, he died on the cross. But yet then he says right after that, yet he shall see his seed. He shall see his children. Well, how is that going to take place? And again, this is what he's talking about. Only a living person is able to see their children. Just as we were talking with the the children up here a few minutes ago. Yes, we know that Jesus died. But what happened just a couple days later, three days later, what happened? Jesus rose from the grave. He defeated death. The the devil could not hold him. The, The grave could not keep him in. He didn't stay in the grave. This is what he means when he says he shall prolong his days. It's a reference to the resurrection of Jesus Christ after he has offered himself an offering for sin. Three days later, Jesus Christ rose. Just like what we said to the young, why, why did he have to rise? Because he's going to offer eternal life to anyone who's willing to receive it. He became the offering for sin. And that's why he is the only one who can offer eternal life. Your church can't do it. Baptism can't do it. Good works can't do it. Ten commandments can't do it. The only one who can offer life is the one who has defeated death. And that's Jesus Christ. He was made an offering for sin. And now, not only did he die on the cross, but he is going to be resurrected. His days are going to be prolonged. He shall see his seed. Why? Because he's going to rise from that grave. He's going to conquer death. He's going to defeat the devil. And when we become his child, we are born into his family. And once you are in, you can't get out. Isn't that great? Once you are a part of his family, you can't leave. You say, well, what if I I choose to? You don't have a choice. You say, well, you know, uh, what if I don't want to be saved anymore? Look, you can't be unborn. Hello. You can say, well, I don't want to be here. Tough, you're here. 
You cannot be unborn physically. Do you know that? And just like you can't be unborn physically, you can't be unborn spiritually. Jesus said you must be born again to see the kingdom of God, right? And when you are born into God's family, just like you were born into your family, you can't be unborn, friend. You can't be unborn. That's why the gift that he offers is called eternal life. It's eternal life. He shall see his children. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. This is what he's saying. What's going to happen through Jesus Christ is he is going to die for our sins, but he is going to raise again and he is going to be alive forevermore. And he's going to see every single child that puts their faith and trust in him because he's alive and he is sitting at the right hand of the father right now, waiting for his father to say one day, hey, go get him, go get him. But I want you to notice the last thing here really quick. Verse number 11. By the way, did you, did you notice at the end of, uh, there's just so much here. He shall prolong his, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Oh yes, there's grief in seeing what his son is going to go through, but there's joy in it because of what's going to happen. Look in verse number 11. He shall see the travail of his soul. God is seeing the travail of his son and shall be satisfied. Satisfied. Satisfied for what? Satisfied for the payment of sin. Satisfied for the payment of sin. His spirit, his soul, that's what it said. It make his soul an offering for sin. And God says, I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied. Now, let me ask you this real quick. I just, I, I want you to, I don't want you to miss this. If God is satisfied with the offering of his son, what do you think you can add to that? Um, let's be honest. We're talking about a perfect man, the God man, who lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and God says, I'm satisfied with that. I'm satisfied with his sacrifice. How can you add something more to that? You see, friend, you can't. And that's why God says he's satisfied in his son. Because if it's up to you and I to try to do it ourselves, he's never going to be satisfied. He'll never be satisfied because we don't have anything to offer. We're not perfect. We can't pay for our sin. But he says, when he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied, watch, by his knowledge shall my righteous servant, and here we go, justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Why is there joy? Because the Bible says he shall justify many. Jesus Christ justifies. You and I can't justify. Your church can't justify. A pastor, priest, reverend, whatever you want to call him, he can't justify. Only God can. And God says, because of what Jesus Christ has done, he will justify those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This is what he says. Verse number 11 again. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify Many. Jesus Christ, in what he has done, in him alone, is able to justify those who put their faith in him. Why? For he shall bear their iniquities. Praise God that we can be justified. 
We can be justified before God, not because of what we can do, but because he willingly bore our iniquities. Friend, you can't do it. Christmas ought to be a reminder to every single one of us that I cannot save myself. Can't do it. Why? Because if I could, there would be no Christmas. If I could save myself, there would be no Christmas. If I could save myself, there would be no Luke chapter 2 with, with the angels and telling the shepherds, hey, the Savior is born. There would be no Luke chapter 2. There would be no Luke chapter 1 telling Mary you're going to have a baby. There would be no Matthew chapter 1 and 2 with the wise men and, and Herod. There would be none of that because if you and I can save ourselves, there's no need for Jesus to come. You see, Christmas ought to remind us every year, I cannot save myself. It's only Jesus Christ. I love what Warren Wearsby said. Grace is love that has paid a price. And sinners are saved by grace. Justice can only condemn the wicked and justify the righteous. But grace justifies the ungodly when they trust Jesus Christ. And God is satisfied with the sacrifice of his son. Friend, Christmas ought to be a reminder. It ought to be a wake-up call. It ought to be an eye-opening thing to us to understand. Because we celebrate Christmas, yes, it's great to have the presents and it's great to have the ornaments and the decorations and the lights and the family and the food and and all the joy that it brings but the greatest joy it ought to bring in is knowing jesus christ came to die for you and for me because he is the only offering that could satisfy a holy and a just god and when we put our faith and trust in jesus christ We have the privilege of being born into his family. You say, what did did you do? I'm not a good person. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I'm a good person. I'm not a good person. I wasn't able to earn my salvation just like you can't earn your salvation. There had to be a time in my life when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And friend, can I ask you, has there been a time when you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? I'm not saying you know about him. No, I knew about him for a long time. But I never accepted him. Have you? His sacrifice is the only thing that satisfies a holy and a just God. Will you accept his sacrifice? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, no one looking about. I could not, I could not in good conscience end this service today without asking if there might be someone that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. To celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ on the day that we worship His resurrection. 
Friend, maybe you've been thinking that you're good enough or your church or your baptism or your family can somehow get you to heaven, can somehow be enough to take away your sin. Friend, none of that can. Jesus Christ became an offering for sin. God says that when he saw the sacrifice of his son, God said, I'm satisfied. Will you accept Jesus Christ's sacrifice for your sin? Or are you going to try to keep paying for your own sin? God says the choice is yours. He's not going to force you to accept his son. But the gift is there. The offering has been made. Will you accept it? I wonder this morning, with every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking about, would there be someone here this morning and say, Pastor Andrew, I'm not sure if I'm saved. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out or anything. But I would like to pray for you. You say, Pastor Andrew, I am honestly, I'm not sure if I'm saved. I thought maybe my religion could. I thought maybe uh, uh, some ritual could. I thought maybe my family could. I thought a church could. I'm just not sure if I'm saved or not. Pastor Andrew, would you pray for me? Would you just raise your hand and put it down? Just up and down. That's it. That's all I'm asking. Just slip your hand up and put it right back down. Say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to come to you. Would you say, Pastor, pray for me? I'm just not sure. If I'm saved. Christian, if you know Christ as your Savior, what a great opportunity to tell people about Jesus. It's a reminder to us that we cannot save ourselves, and neither can they. Can we stand quietly this, this morning? The piano is just going to play softly with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.